eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Monday, September 21st, and boy... Uh, It is going to be an interesting week for the housing market. So there'll be a lot of data that come out around, you know, existing home sales and new home sales and housing prices and all this. But the market is, whoa, it's gone crazy. It's really like sort of the, the best aspect of the recovery I remember when many of you were writing in in March, should I keep looking for a house and then what should I do? And, you know, my theory on that was if you were already looking for a house, you should continue to do so. And uh, if you were planning to sell your house, you should continue to do so, but don't make any rash decisions. So uh, I'm going to think about that data a little bit more. And uh, when it's released, I'll have some more comments about it. Meanwhile, this is the program that takes the mystery out of your finances, but only if you actually send us an email. So our email address, it's askjill at jillonmoney.com. That's askjill at jillonmoney.com. This is a note from Robert who says, thank you so much for going to the daily format during the pandemic. It gives more people an opportunity to write in with questions and gives us all a chance to learn and consider things we need to know and do. Hmm. Well, you're welcome. Here is Robert's situation. In 2014, my father passed away at age 81. Shortly after that, my older brother redid the deed to my parents' house. He took dad's name off and put his and mine on it with mom's. So normally what would happen is mom and dad own the house together, dad would die, house passes to mom, and that is that. Okay. But now all of a sudden, We've got Robert and his brother, whose names are put on the house, which means they now are essentially gifted the cost basis of that house in their names also. Okay. Now, going back, mom had to go to a nursing home in 2018. Various members of the family used the house. My brother and his wife were in the process of selling their home. They moved into the house this June when they were involved in a car accident. Oy vey, my brother died a few days later, shortly after mom turned 88 at the end of July. Her health declined and she died in August. This is a terrible story. Poor Robert. So they've had two deaths in about two months and he writes, it has been devastating. Just as I was picking up the pieces of my mother's care after my brother died, I find myself closing out her personal affairs. That leaves mom's house. According to an elder care lawyer we've been using, 
I am the owner of the house. My sister-in-law is living there, which is great. She's welcome to live there as long as she wants. That could be a year, five years, whatever. Eventually, we will likely sell the house. Losing two family members so soon has left us wondering about leaving too many loose ends. My wife and I have discussed a living revocable trust with Charles Schwab. We're wondering if we should put mom's house, maybe ours, into the trust so that if something were to happen to us, we're in our 60s, my niece and nephew could take the house over and our other assets without some of the difficulty I've encountered. I'm thinking about refinancing mom's house. Current rate is 4% with $124,000 left on it. So I need to decide on a trust or no trust soon. What do you think? Is putting the house in our trust worth the effort or should I just put my niece and nephew on a new deed? Robert. Um, Okay. So the elder care lawyer is probably primarily concerned with figuring out how to make sure the house stays out of your estate for Medicaid purposes. I am not interested in that as an aspect of this. I think you need to go to an estate planning attorney, and I think that you need a broad overview of what's going on in your life. I do not think you should put this house in a trust. I do not think that you should actually put your niece and nephew on the new deed because doing so basically just means that you are gifting this house into their names and that would rob them of having a step up in the cost basis if they were to actually inherit the house. So I'm not going to tell you what to do on the estate issue. What I am going to tell you to do is go to an estate planning attorney, not an elder care attorney, an estate planning attorney, and talk to that person about the way you should be structuring your estate. I think everyone listening, you cannot willy-nilly put your name on deeds and take people off and add your siblings and this. It just causes a nightmare. And poor Robert, in the middle of all of these decisions, is now confronted with the death of his brother and his mother. It's awful. And so what I really want to emphasize here, guys, is that it's time that we stop treating these decisions as if we knew really what had to happen. We need help in these decisions. And no, I don't actually love the idea of going to an elder care attorney. I like the idea of going to an estate attorney. Okay. Tom wants to know the best way for my grandson to establish a credit history. He writes, hi, Jill, you're awesome. You provide professional guidance without any arrogance. Quite refreshing, I must say. So my awesome grandson is 18. He's working for his other grandfather as a plumber's helper. The plan is he begins trade school in September to become an electrician. That's awesome. And he'll still use the plumbing income to pay his bills. He wants to establish a credit history. I have my ideas, but I told him I need to consult with my financial goddess. (laughs) My ideas include a loan for which I would co-sign for a secured credit card, a piggyback on my credit card. Uh, grandson and I have not discussed providing the funds. Granny and I are willing to help him to get him rolling. My only concern is that if he piggybacks on our credit, it's reported to all three credit bureaus. Okay. The easiest thing is the secured credit card. That to me is the best way to start establishing a credit history. And, you know, you go for a nice little boring, as you said, two or 500 bucks, it's fine. That's, I think, the simplest and easiest way you get it going. And from there, I think, you know, you can expand the amount of credit that you get. And eventually, they're going to offer him a card in his own name. You will then teach him what is so important about 
credit and how it can be dangerous, but you know, you want to make sure you teach these lessons along the way. Here's a note from Jill, fellow namesake, she says. Uh, This may be a bizarre question. Currently, all of my savings accounts, emergency fund, college savings, car savings account are at 1% or lower. I need to save for my son's college and plan for retirement. I currently own a house that I'm renting while working overseas. That's cool. Would it be better to double up on my mortgage payments, 3.5% interest rate, than to put into savings so that when I sell the house, when I return, I'll get more than putting the money into a savings account? Does it make sense? Um, I would hope to make money on the sale. I can't open an IRA or a 529 since I'm working overseas. Okay. You didn't mention how old your son is. So I'm a little bit, uh, I'm going to fly blind here a little bit, but let's give it a shot. So to increase your percentage that you're earning, it's probably not going to be much better than 1%. You can check out depositaccounts.com. I think the problem with the house idea and paying down the mortgage, while you know intuitively you say, yes, it's so much better because I'm you know earning 3.5% interest, you do lose the liquidity. And what happens if the housing market stinks when you get back? Let me know how old the kid is. It may be that you're making the best of a crappy situation. Okay, our next note is from Christiane, who is a recent master's grad from this past June. She says, I'm trying to navigate through the economic uncertainty that defines this alternate universe we're living in. I've noticed that refinancing rates for student loans are quite low at the moment. I have a mix of federal and private loans that carried me through three years of grad school. As well, I've completely paid off my undergrad loans, that's awesome, and have already started paying off my graduate school loans. I have a job, fantastic, as an interior architect, which I'm incredibly grateful for, although it doesn't pay as much as the spectacular monetary abundance I was receiving working as a nurse, travel nurse for a decade. Wow, left nursing to go into interior architecture, that's amazing. Christiane says, I'm very happy. All right, good. What are your thoughts on refinancing? Uh, She says, I know that we have deferred federal loan payments until December. I feel frozen, uncertain what my next step should be. Should I refinance since rates are low? Should I wait? Grad students get far less help financially. Even worse, loan rates for grad students are deplorable. I'm ashamed to say my private loan rates are high, 10%. So of course, my husband and I would preferably love to save a boatload of money, as I'm sure all your listeners do. Your thoughts? My thoughts are you should definitely explore a refi. I would be interested to see if you could just refi the private loans. So one company you might want to consider is Common Bond. We've actually had some of the folks from Common Bond as guests on the show. And I think that if you could actually refi the private loans, that would be great. Now, the reason why I wouldn't necessarily refi the federal loans is that, you know, as you said, you've got this 0% keep paying those down. But, you know, it might be interesting to see kind of what happens next. And I don't know what the total amount is, but I think that I would certainly try to refi the private loans and let's leave the federal loans for a bit. The problem with refining both the federal and the private is that there are some loan provisions on federal plans in terms of repayment options that can be quite helpful. And that may be something you don't want to give up. And by the way, uh, here is Christian's PS. Thanks for being just plain divine. I've always felt you genuinely want to help people. I do. I really do. It's like the least I could do for all of you guys. Okay. This is from John. 
And he writes, I absolutely love your morning podcast. It's the first, all caps, one that I listen to on my four-mile walk at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> my question has to do with the duration of your podcast. It's too short. Normally, when something is confusing, you need to follow the money. So the brevity of your podcast is either, one, the cost is more than you and Mark want to expend for a longer show. Two, your fee is too high for Mark to make the podcast longer. <laughs> Either way, I sincerely wish you would increase the length of the podcast. My walk is just over one hour, and I would love to enjoy at least half of that, maybe a third, listening to you. Seriously, you need to stay on the air longer. We like you. John, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Mark, how can John listen to us on his walk? Can he listen to us on YouTube for the radio show? Um, well, Mark says if you want to sponsor the podcast, we would go longer. No, really. The the problem is that we have a lot of things that we do all at once. I think that to do a daily podcast, uh, what we've tried to do is, you know, sort of take five or six emails and plow through them and get through that. And if you want more of us, here's what you're going to do. You're going to download our radio show, which airs on the weekends. It's a syndicated radio show, but you can listen to it on YouTube and it's one hour and 14 minutes. Can you make that four mile walk in one hour and 14 minutes? Now, the problem for you is that's only once a week. So, or maybe you should just save them all up. Maybe you should go back into the podcast library. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's a little bit less than money. It's more about time. So we thank you so much for that email. And um, and I like you guys too, but I also want to be respectful. You got other things to do. Let's be honest. Okay. So if you have a financial question, please, please send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. And, you know, in general, if you want it more of what we do, just go to the website, JillOnMoney.com. You can read, you can listen, you can watch, you can check out the resource section. Oh, you know what you could do, John? You could uh, get the audible version. You can get my audio version of my book. You can listen to me read my own book. What do you think of that? That's an idea too, huh, Mark? All right. As we always like to say, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing. And please do something for somebody else today. It will make you feel good. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 